Welcome to another episode of Campus Life, the college half of our flagship pod here at Campus to Canton. As always, I am Austin. And this is Colin. And uh, I think we have a really interesting topic to discuss on this week's show, Colin. Um, we're, we're talking supplemental drafts, and I think we'll probably talk a lot about supplemental drafts over the next few weeks here before we really jump deep into the conference previews. Uh, because we're getting a lot of questions about them. And it's really uh, encouraging and exciting because it means that the seeds that we worked to plant last year with everybody in terms <laughs> of starting new leagues for the first time and kind of learning C2C. And last year, it seems like we did a lot more startup content over the offseason because that's what people kept asking about. But now it seems like a lot of people are in leagues and now they want to learn like just macro zoomed out how do I go about, you know, completing a supplemental draft, setting up my roster to to participate in one, which is going to be the big topic tonight and the big question that we've been getting a lot lately and all those kinds of things. So I think that's going to be the bulk of tonight's show. We do have a little bit of news and, of course, freshman profiles uh, that, that both of us are here for. So I think um, this is a really fun topic uh, and it's very, very timely because we're in supplemental drafts right now. So we kind of have had a chance to think through how we because every offseason is a little different right so we we've yeah. had a chance to to spend some time doing that and i think we've got a handle on where rosters should be going into these drafts this year yeah i mean i've i've done a couple of them so far two of them have been auctions um so you know that's even it's a little bit different you know a little bit of a different strategy on that one but uh for the you know straight supplemental drafts that i've done it's uh it, it is different than other years i feel like this year um there's some players that are available at certain positions that are that i've been finding myself targeting a little bit heavier and we can get into that when we get into the discussion but it's uh you said every offseason is different yeah exactly not just from a um like the, the the players and kind of the strength of a class, um, which I think is important. And I'm actually working through an article series right now to probably be three articles, just how I'm approaching drafts this year, um, like very concretely with with names. And um, I actually, uh, this uh, these articles are actually going to be NIL only. I haven't told anybody this yet, but they're oh. going to just be for our NIL crew. I have this league that I am drafting. The draft started today at noon. And it's uh, it's my highest buy-in. It's my highest stakes league, and I haven't done that well in it the past couple of years. So I I went through and made a two hundred, basically a two hundred forty player queue that I spent hours and hours and hours on when I was on vacation last week. So I shared just the raw queue with anybody who wanted it in our NIL channel, um, and now I'm kind of writing an article around it. Um, so that's going to be a little more. It's going to be a combination of you know player takes slash general strategy and how you take your rankings and uh you know perceived adp value at any given time and the format of your league and kind of combine them into a list so that you know teach you how to fish so you don't have to ask us <laughs> about every single player not that we're not happy to answer questions but you guys probably don't want to ask us every single time you want to make a cut or like who would you prefer of these three players and you're just going down the list like that that's not really fun for anybody and you're not making your own decisions at the end of the day through a lot of that. So hopefully kind of giving an insight into how we do all of those things uh, will be helpful for you. And we're going to start again by doing that here today by talk, talking about how to trim down a roster 
um, before the supplemental draft, because as we all know, fan tracks, you can't make cuts once the draft starts. So you've got to have your roster. You got to have enough spots to use all your roster, your, your draft picks or else you can't use the draft pick. So we'll talk about all that here uh, in just a minute. But before we do that, I think we there, there are some small news items that I think are noteworthy. Uh, the first one I actually want to touch on is Tyron Smith, uh, wide receiver. Uh, he formerly, for, formerly and currently of UTEP, uh, transferred this offseason to Texas A&M. Everybody was very confused as to why he did that because he is, correct me if I'm wrong here, but he seems very similarly skilled to Anais Smith and Moose Muhammad. Yeah. And, but he's probably not better than either of them. So going no. there to play like third fiddle is like a slot, yak, kind of line of scrimmage kind of guy. Seemed very, very odd to me. I think it seemed very, very odd to everybody. So it sounds like he completed whatever credits he needed to to transfer back. And so he's officially back. Uh, at UTEP and is going to play there this year. I think this takes him from a basically non-entity in C2C leagues and CFF leagues to a guy that you're actually really, really interested in. And our, our CFF team has been talking a bit about it behind the, the scenes. And and they're saying, you know, what what's what's the difference between him and, and some of these other volume hog type guys that are that are going early in drafts? And I I I mean, I don't know enough to, to disagree with. Like, I, I, I think they're probably onto something there. I think this guy's probably way too cheap at the moment. Yeah. Well, m- my first question with Tyron Smith is: Are we sure that he is eligible to play right away? Because he did transfer, and I was transferring back, so it's like a graduate transfer now at this point. It's uh, th- that's my assumption, and if it's not a pure grad transfer, then he must. But like, I don't know what his participation level was. Mm-hmm. or any of that and if that impacts what happened between then and now i i don't know that the school would have announced it and he would have announced it if he wasn't going to be on the field or they weren't feeling pretty good about that possibility you know yeah i mean that's fair you know like with a uh, zion webb the quarterback for jacksonville state just got his seventh year uh granted so they kind of hand out waivers to to pretty much anybody so it doesn't idiot. necessarily su- yeah <laughs> doesn't necessarily surprise me but <laughs> Uh, which I mean, which opens the door for a whole nother discussion for a whole other day once we finally figure out what's going on with some of these COVID years. Because we learned something yeah. new today that potentially people, if they played fewer than four games in the COVID year, can use it as a red shirt and a COVID year. So we're playing fast and loose with transfer rules right now in terms <laughs> of eligibility and what's going on here. Yeah, eligibility uh, where the years are made up and it doesn't matter. Really? Um, but no, with, back to Tyron Smith, I mean, like you said, it, he – this transfer back to UTEP takes him from a guy that is barely rosterable um, at Texas A&M because, like you said, he's he was redundant there. You know, he fills a very similar role to Anaya Smith and Moose Muhammad, two guys with more seniority in that program and a program that does tend to value seniority with Jimbo. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think he's more talented than those two guys. So coming back to UTEP, though, he is – he's the focal point of this offense. You know, he was last year, 34.8% um, target share. He averaged 10 targets a game, you know, so he was the focal point of this offense last year. And they bring back, you know, pretty much everybody. They, they bring back the starting quarterback. Um, you know, they, they lose um, one of their running backs, but they bring back Deion Hankins, who was, you know, it was like a one, two punch there. Um, you know, but, they lose a couple of the receivers. So like he's going to be the guy there again this year. And, you know, 122 targets last year, thousand yards, seven touchdowns. So I think that's very much in his wheelhouse to repeat that 
performance again. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at him compared to some of these other guys that are in newer situations that maybe we like, um, you know, like I'm trying to think a couple guys who transferred um, or even guys who stepped up like a Jordan Curley, you know, like I would take Tyron Smith over Jordan Curley because we know what that's going to be in that offense where Curley is kind of stepping into a vacancy. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely a stock up for Tyron Smith and, and he's got to climb back up your rankings. Mike Bainbridge of the CFF site, amongst other places, he's uh, all, everything he does at Mike Bainbridge CFF on Twitter and then the CFF CFF site stuff uh, is, in my opinion, must subscribe stuff every single year. I, I've done it for the past few years and uh, really, really good info. He tweeted out the other day about uh, last week, almost a week ago, and he said, Highest uh, target share percentage from wide receiver ones the past three seasons, and this is the combined average. And it listed you know the top. I didn't count them here. It looks like ten uh, offenses in terms of targeting the wide receiver one. And UTEP was second with like their their offense coordinator. Um, and they averaged eighteen point two. Their wide receiver one it averaged eighteen point two fantasy points per game. Like you said, high target percentage there, thirty one point three percent. Um, uh, total targets, uh, 103, uh, over a thousand yards and six touchdowns per season. That's a, that's a pretty good player that we're yeah. pretty sure that's what Tyrant Smith is locked into. Um, so, so very, very valuable there. Uh, if you had him and were kind of losing hope, this is great news. And you know, if he's hanging around out there, cause somebody got scared off, uh, definitely a guy that I'm going to go take a look at. Um, and I, I, I think that he, he's probably in here for a big year. The other, and I, I've actually bumped him way up my rankings, uh, by the way, to reflect that. He is now up to my my C2C wide receiver 66. And I have him kind of in a cluster with a few other CFF, quote-unquote, only wide receivers, including uh, Devin Watson at South Alabama, who his offense is also on this list. Um, uh, Jamari Thrash at Louisville. Um, actually, surprisingly, his offense is not, but I think he's in for a big year. Um, uh, Lejeante Wester, Florida Atlantic, Will Shepard of Vanderbilt, all guys that are kind of the focal point of, of an offense uh, in the passing game. So where, where do you have Tyron Smith right now, Colin? Have you adjusted based on this news yet? I have not adjusted based on this oh, news yet. And if you, check our, if you check our rankings as well, he is still listed as Texas A&M. So, I mean, by the time you're – I'm going to change that tonight, so by the time you're listening to this tomorrow, uh, it'll be fixed. But – um, so I, I do have him way too low, but yeah, I would, I would put him up in, in that group. You know, I would put him up there with, um, Jamari. Th uh, so I have, um, Jamari thrash at 45, Jordan Curley at 40, Devin Boyson, 46. Mm, that feels aggressive. like a good, Ooh, I like it. aggressive, it's aggressive. I like it. I like it. I'm not, that's not, I was making fun of you. Yeah. I mean, they're basically in, uh, a whole like cluster of my CFF guys, you know, Alex Adams, Josh Cephas, Jamal Banks, Derwin Burgess, Justin Lockhart, all in that group too there. Um, so he would slot into that group where exactly I would probably put him just below Burgess. So I'm thinking like right now I'm looking like a 42 wide receiver 42. Okay. That's uh, just, that, I mean it's it's higher than than me and I thought I was pretty aggressive with some of the CFF rankings. I, well, I have Tyron Smith in like my quote unquote third cluster of mm -hmm. of CFF guys. The top one we talked about this what two weeks ago I think where I have like yeah. Horton, Corley, yeah. um, Cowing, 
uh, squirrel white cowing really, really yeah. high. And then I have like the next cluster is a bunch of the guys you were just talking about to Corey and Clark, Derwin Burgess, Sam Wiglis, Jordan Curley. And then I have him like in that tier three, essentially of CFF. And maybe that's too, maybe that's too, um, too low. Maybe I'll have to think about it a little bit. I do have some like some Debbie ish guys with a little more upside there in front of him um, that, that you could, um, that, we, that I, that I could be convinced to, to jump him over a little bit. So this, this could be a fun discussion to have on a different day. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I have some CFF guys ranked fairly aggressively uh, right now. And it's because I think looking at the wide receiver position as a whole in college football right now, there's just not as many guys that I feel confident from, from a Debbie perspective compared to other years. Who's your highest rated quote unquote CFF only guy. I know that's always a tough game to play because yeah, <laughs> right. Allen could go in the fourth round or whatever next year. And then he's, yeah, he, he gets some, some, but we said the same thing about tank Dell last year and, you know, he got draft right. capital, but uh, you know, guys that maybe we're not like that optimistic about in the NFL. Um, yeah. I, I think the highest like CFF only guy that I would consider there is um, squirrel white who I have at 29. Okay. I have, I have him. I have White at twenty nine, Corley at thirty, Horton at thirty one, J- Cowing at thirty two, um, and then it drops a little bit. And then I have my next cluster of guys. So like the guys in between there, I have Jaden Greathouse, Adam Randall, um, Bo Collins. Because I one of Adam Randall and Bo Collins, I think, is going to be mm-hmm. solid this year. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be Randall because it sounds like he's lost some of that weight. He's getting back a little bit. So Bo Collins might start to creep down my rankings a little bit. Uh, but I have those two guys clustered together right now. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we're we're actually not that far off. Uh, that's basically like the, the cluster of of you know Debbie capable guys I have in that range too. So, um, but yeah. So just just keep an eye out. And I think if um, you you can get him cheap, I think he he's primed for probably a big year there for a UTEP team that might not be that good, but it it probably won't matter too much for him. The other piece of news that we have here. Uh, the Elite 11 finals were this past weekend, uh, three or four day events, a culmination of a bunch of regionals where you ton- the dozens and dozens of uh, high school quarterbacks go out and compete uh, to to make the final 20. And then uh, the top 11 are the quote unquote Elite 11. Well, actually, it's the top 12. They get the MVP and then it's the Elite 11. So it's, it's actually 12, which I didn't realize until um, this week. Um, whatever. I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> the the winner is usually a pretty I don't count. <laughs> the winner is usually a pretty good player. Yeah. And you can't count. So there's right. Um, no, yeah. Uh, yeah. The don't can't. They're you know. Well, I can words. count. It's just not past ten. They run out of fingers. Mm, okay. Ah, uh, so that's where we tripped you up. Okay. Yeah. Use your toes. Once you bro. hit a, once you hit eleven, yeah, but like it's hard to when if you use your toes, you gotta take your shoes and socks off. Mm, yeah. You're right. You know, you're right. It's a hassle. It's a whole hassle. <laughs> Um, the, the winner of this award generally in the past, uh, five to six years has, has ended up being a pretty good player. Really the only, uh, player that we have kind of lost hope for is Spencer Rattler, uh, won it back in what, 2019, I believe, uh, Kate yeah. Klubnick won it last year. So too early to say there, but pretty much everybody else has gone on to, uh, get at least drafted highly in the NFL. And this year's winner is Julian Sayan. He is an Alabama commit. Um, we we've talked, I don't know if we've talked about it that much on this particular show. I know the official guys have talked about it. They've been doing a couple of 2024 freshman mock drafts already. And it's not a very impressive quarterback class. Uh, I would say probably one of the weaker ones over the past 
probably the weakest one since we started campuscant.com and, and maybe even the year or two before that. Uh, just it's not a strong group. Not a lot of not a lot of modern quarterbacks like, you know, toolsy yeah. can move around a lot. Uh, Saiyan is kind of club Nick esque. He's yeah. a little bigger than club Nick and that the arm might be slightly better, but it's not better by a ton. Um, but that's kind of the player he is. And so a format like this really kind of favors a guy like him. Um, I don't know that I wouldn't say that he was the favorite going into it. I think the favorite was probably Dylan Rayola, who I think is yeah. widely considered the top quarterback prospect in the class. And he did finish in the, the top 12. Um, he's going to Georgia. Uh, but I, I think this is interesting as a news point here, not because of who Julian Sayan is per se, but because we've talked a lot about we can't figure out this Alabama quarterback situation. We don't really like anybody there. No one's really ever stepped up. And it's probably difficult to say that true freshman Julian Sayan is going to walk into a locker room with, at the moment, Jalen Milrow, Tyler Simpson, Tyler Buckner, um, uh, Dylan Lonergan, and Eli Holstein and win the job as a freshman. But I do think it's notable with Alabama probably missing on a couple of quarterback classes in a row that Sayan. Uh, should be headed there. And I just think that's uh, an intriguing name to watch uh, as we kind of move through this year into next year's supplemental draft season. Yeah. Like you said, this is a definitely a setting that favors a quarterback. That's like uh, saying, you know, we saw Klubnik win it. We saw Jackson Arnold win it. Now saying wins it. I think those are guys are all very similar mold of quarterback. So like, you can see a trend here where Sa- the Saiyan's pick- probably less mobile than Arnold. Like Arn- Arnold's yeah. the most mobile yeah. of that group by a pretty yeah. good, good portion, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that this was a good showing from him for sure. Like you said, Rayola was the favorite um, with, without a doubt, like, but it was a good showing for him to, to, to step up and, and to do well there and win it. And now he's going to Alabama. So I think he's going to have a tendency to get overdrafted in drafts next year because of how weak the quarterback class is. Uh, but you said, but you know, obviously we don't expect him to start next year, but it is a weak room at Alabama. There's just a lot of things going for Julian saying um, that are not necessarily like on the field and it's going to help rise his stock, whether it's warranted or not. You know, if, if saying was in this quarterback class, that's pretty heavily vaunted here. He's, what QB six at best? Probably. Yeah. I'd, I'd have a hard time putting them against any of those other guys. Yeah. So it's definitely good. It's definitely something to note, but I wouldn't put too much stock in it. It was a really, really interesting. So uh, the elite 11 has a couple of different like segments, you know, e- each day is kind of a different um, category and, and they all compete. And then each category kind of has a winner and they all get ranked. And then basically they take those scores, they combine them. And then there's, some unspoken portion of it or on, you know, that had never been released as to what the, the, uh, the, the weighting is of uh, game film from the past year, which is just so stupid. But yeah, that's, that's pointless. Yeah. It's makes the whole thing a little questionable to me. Um, but it was really interesting watching as the lists came out uh, after each um, portion of the contest, because somebody would finish first in one event and then they would be like dead last awful in the next one, which is very atypical of what this content. Usually there's like two or three guys that are kind of duking it out. Like last year it was Dante Moore and Arnold. And I think there was somebody else uh, who were like consistently kind of like at the top of all the lists. Like this year, um, Jaden Davis is one uh, a quarterback five-star who's headed to Michigan. He 
basically wasn't even in the top 12 for like the first two events. And he was almost last in one of them. And then he did really, really well in the last. Like it's just, it was a very, very bizarre event this year. I think that kind of speaks to just how weak the class is overall. No offense to any of the guys in this class. It just, it, it is what it is. So uh, just a note, but yeah, I think uh, Julian saying a name that you want to uh, write down and um, uh, pay attention to him next year going into sub draft season. Cause it could, that, that, that Bama QB room could get empty real quick. You know, if, if a could. bunch of those guys don't win the don't win that job, you could see a bunch of them transfer out, and all of a sudden, a, a six player depth chart is now three, and that's a lot less scary if you're rooting for one particular player or another. Right, especially if a guy like Jalen Milrow wins it. Who, I, I mean, we just talked at the top of the show. We, you know, eligibility is made up, and it doesn't really matter. But I think he only has two years left this year and one more year. So if Milrow does win it, it sets up a a nice succession plan for uh, Julian Sayan, other than that he's a polar opposite quarterback from Milrow. In terms of year-wise, it sets up a nice succession plan. So you'll have to see how that shakes out and who ends up winning and who transfers out and stuff. But if it does end up being Milrow, I think that would work in Sayan's favor. Agreed. Agreed. Um, All right. So before we hop into um, the kind of uh, main piece of the show here, I do just want to Real quick, get the housekeeping out of the way. Guys, go check out campus2canton.com. That's our parent website. Uh, everything that all of our work that we personally do and, and our whole crew ends up over there. Go pre-order the CFF guide while you're sitting over there. Uh, that is going to be releasing right at the beginning of July. Um, July 1st, I believe, is the tentative release date, so you'll have it in time uh, for the 4th of July. You can ignore your family by reading that. Um, $20 um, if you want to just purchase it outright. Uh, several of our memberships get it for free with your membership or, or potentially for free. If you have any questions on that, p- please feel free to reach out and we will let you know if you are one of those people or not. Uh, home Field Apparel, guys. We are now paired with Home Field Apparel. If you're not familiar with Home Field, they are just an awesome retro college sports apparel company. They do all sorts of cool shirts, t- you know, t-shirts, sweatshirts, sweatpants, quarter zips, you name it. Um, with a ton of different colleges, I believe they, they add more and more every week over it's over 160, I believe at this point, uh, promo code campus to Canton gets you 15% off of your order. Um, so I would definitely recommend heading over there. I'm still waiting until I have a huge order and then just going to unleash like a $400, <laughs> $400 home field order. Um, uh, we have been told that this code only works for people that are first time buyers. But that is attached to your email address, folks. So guess what I'm going to be doing every time I want to order something <laughs> from Homefield over the next years. Just going to be creating a new little email there and then getting my stuff sent. sent AustinHomefield1 at gmail.com. AustinHomefield2 you know? at gmail.com. I, I feel like they they appreciate the business either way. I don't think they really care. So that's No, I don't think they do either. Um, I, my, my shirts just came. So I'm very did they? Okay. That. They did, did yeah. you, have you worn them yet? Uh, I have not. Um, oh, so I just, on. I just want like they literally just came yesterday, and I did laundry today. So oh, you, you're okay. one of those that always washes a shirt before you put it on, huh? Yes, I am one of those. Okay, interesting. Um, I am very excited though because the shirt that I got, the Penn State one, uh, the 1986 national champion shirt, is white. And guess who's going to the whiteout this year? This guy, mm, your thumbs are pointed towards you. Yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be you, I guess. This huh? guy. So I got a new shirt for the whiteout. Who do you, you guys are using it for like a really weird game, right? Iowa. What yeah, do you guys not have a big home game this year? Or most of your big games on the road. That just seems like a weird one to me. 
Um, Michigan is at home. Um, it'll be late in the year. I yeah, I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure why Michigan wasn't the choice there, but honestly, um, if it so you can never overlook Iowa. Iowa's one of those teams where if you look past them, they could beat you. Um, but leading up to the Ohio State game is a softer stretch for Penn State. And then between Ohio State and Michigan, also not the strongest of schedules. So they're probably setting up to be like a one-loss team going into Michigan. And if that's the case, I could see them doing a different, uh, like they do a stripe out sometimes. I could see them doing that, doing something. No comment. (laughs) No comment. But yeah, it's Iowa this year. Um, it's a little, you know, would have preferred the Michigan one, but you know, it is what it is. Still excited so, to go. All right. Well, there you go. So go create a new email address. Use promo code Campus to Canton and get them shirts. Get them shirts. Season's right around the corner. So don't wait. Um, all right. Let's uh, let, let's hop right into to this here, Colin. Uh, we had a couple. We've, we've got a bunch of questions uh, in our Discord. I get DMs. We started a new Campus to Canton community on twitter i'm still not really sure what it is but we post in there and it's fun and we've got a lot of people joining in with us um so pretty pretty cool um so that, that's where i pulled some of these questions from um so and, and i hope i'm not upsetting anybody by shouting out their name uh with the question um andre l and our discord uh asked a question we get a lot and he said any recommendations on how to decide who to cut before supplemental drafts and then he gave us a, a some names and I, I will name them here Colin and I were discussing whether we wanted to do that or not. We'll, we'll discuss the names just to kind of give you guys an idea of the tier of player that we're uh, talking about or, or being asked about here fairly regularly. And he said, I'm looking at guys like uh, Haynes King, quarterback, uh, who uh, went from Texas A&M to Georgia Tech this offseason. Evan Prater, uh, third-year quarterback there at Cincinnati. Caleb Johnson, a uh, running back. I forget what year he is at Iowa. Loic he's a Fun- sophomore or a redshirt freshman. Second year. Yeah, second year. Okay. Uh, Loic Fungi, Collins guy, wide receiver at Texas Tech. Been there for a very, very, very long time. And then Jaden Gibson, a second year wide receiver at Oklahoma. And if you don't really know any of those names, there's the reason why someone's talking about cutting them. And every team has a couple guys like this. You oh, yeah. stashed them last year and you, you thought they would flash or, or the opportunity would open up. And it really, really hasn't. And now you've got to have You've got, you've just got your picks, but there's 15 of them. You know, you only had seven guys go to the NFL that graduate. So you, you, you've got to make some decisions here. Um, we all have teams like this. So I think any recommendations on how to decide who to cut before supplemental drafts, I, I just want to toss it right to you, Colin. What do you kind of do when you're sitting down and looking at a roster, assuming that you have a handful of guys that you just have to cut? How are you generally making that decision? Yeah. So something we've talked about on the show before is like min maxing your roster Uh, And that's definitely something that I look to do. So one of the first things that I look at is um, what is this player's college? What what, what is min-maxing calling? Can you explain it again for the folks that maybe are tuning in for the first time? We we get new listeners every week. Sure. So with, I mean, I think min-maxing means slightly different to different people, but you know, for me, min-maxing is I want guys on my roster who are going to produce for me for CFF or they're going to be good NFL player or projectable NFL players um, or players who you're not going to get much CFF production here, but you can potentially project some in the future or some NFL value in the future. So I want guys who, and everybody 
you know, kind of is along these same lines, but uh, you want your to, definition's even a little tamer than mine. Yeah. You want to get rid of like the roster cloggers. Yeah. You essentially don't want any players on your roster that don't fulfill one of two purposes. They're going to bolster your NFL squad or they're going to win you a college championship. If a player is not doing either of those things, then they're, they're, they're basically worthless to you. If you're truly min maxing a roster. Right. It, but it's very difficult to do that because you have 45 roster spots. So, you know, you have to have some guys on there that you're projecting a little bit for, at least in my mind. Um, but these guys like that, that were all mentioned on here. So Haynes King, you know, you probably had him on your roster because he was a fairly high recruit coming out. I think he was like a top 10 quarterback or right around 10 going, he was going to Texas A&M, got some time. He was a toolsy guy, but he hasn't really done anything. He's going to Georgia Tech. He's not going to do anything for you at Georgia Tech either. Uh, for CFF purposes, he's not going to be an FL guy. Um, so, yeah, that's a guy that I would cut, you know. Um, same with Evan Prater. A lot of those guys, I think out of that list there, Jaden Gims is probably the only one that I would, like, just give a second pause to um, because I think there could be some CFF value there because the Oklahoma room, wide receiver room is weak. Uh, but we do like the Jeff Levy system. So I, there's some potential there. So I would consider hanging on to him. But the rest of those guys are the classic roster cloggers, the guys who aren't going to give you any production on CFF or not production that you actually want to start. You know, Haynes, Haynes King might get you like 12, 14 points per game just because he's a starting quarterback, but you don't want to start that. Um, so the rest of those guys are not going to give you any CFF production worth starting. And I don't think there's any NFL value for those guys. I think when we're talking about pure min maxing, I agree with you. If you have 45 roster spots, you know, unless you're just really, really good and your league mates are really, really bad, you're probably not right. going to have 15 top 50 NFL draft picks on your team. And then just a bunch of rotation of just pure CFF studs that you're rolling through every week and you can really play the matchups and, and you're just crushing everybody. That's, that's right. probably, not That's the dream possible. scenario. Yes. I mean, and obviously, if you, you get it going, then you feel really, really good about it. Um, you also probably at that point, maybe don't have to make a lot of roster cuts. And this this right. current conversation may not be relevant uh, uh, to you, at least in the current form we're having it in. Um, but I do think if you're talking about trying to get maybe 25 to 30 players on your roster, a bare minimum that fit one of those two categories, yeah. I don't think that's a ridiculous number, you know, two thirds of the roster and then. Uh, the other third is stashes, how I generally try to treat stashes. And this is kind of then how you get in a situation like this when you, these guys don't work out is you're basically looking for some sort of hope in when I initially make the stash that that by next year, this player can fill one of those two roles for me. Yeah. So either I'm stashing a running back in a system that's amazing for running backs because the running back that's starting there is a senior and he has no more eligibility left. And I think this and guy know that he's a sixth guy. year senior. Yes. Yes. And he has no more eligibility. COVID be damned. He doesn't care. He's not taking that extra year. Um, yeah. So, you know, that that's a kind of stash. Then, you know, the off season rolls around and the school that uh, this kid goes to brings in a, a really nice player in the portal. And all of a sudden, that second year type of production that I was hoping for is no longer there. Or for a Debbie guy, uh, this will happen a lot with the receivers when we talk about the year yeah. one zero theory. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. If I have a receiver, that's a, a high four star that goes to a school and he ends up being a zero. 
that that could be a guy that I cut because I don't know if, you know if things aren't getting better for them depth chart wise. Like that that just might be a guy that that I don't have any hope for. He's not yeah. filling either of those roles. We don't know what it's going to look like going forward. You know, a lot of this we're guessing about, but there at least has to be some sort of um, path that isn't just you being crazy and trying to actually figure it out. So I think that's where these other players come into play. And obviously not all of them can hit every year. So if you're going yeah. into that second year now, I think those are players that you can generally, that those are, that's when I start saying, I don't think that I need this player anymore. And in a perfect world, you can just shed those guys every offseason and completely replace them. Sometimes you have a lot of guys graduate or something else, and maybe you can't quite get rid of all of them. And then that's when you start doing a little bit of arbitrage and, you know, which guy's more likely to play this year, like which offense is better. You know, you, you kind of start playing uh, those games in your head and making some 50-50 type decisions. Um, but that's why, and, and to, to tie into this, I get a lot of people that ask me, like, should I draft this guy? Um, Austin Simmons is going to be a very popular question. I just actually answered this before he came on the show uh, on Discord. Uh, Austin Simmons, oop. for anybody that doesn't know, and maybe we should have said this in news. I was just going to say, that would have been a good news note. He, so this kid... I don't know this how this kid, happened. This kid is a... Tw- well, I know how it happened because he's old. He's a 2025 quarterback recruit that reclassified to 2023, which means that he just finished his sophomore year of high school, and now he's going to be a freshman in college next year. The kicker is that he actually would have been like 20 when he enrolled two years from now. So this kid is actually extremely old, would have been extremely old for his age group. So now we've actually got him to the point where he should be at. He was homeschooled. I, I don't really know the details. Okay. Um, I was just saying Florida. The, the credit situation was what confuses me because it doesn't really matter how old you are as far as when you graduate, like when you graduate, it's more like the credits that you have. Yeah. So that was what confused me. But if he's homeschooled, then that kind of makes sense. But now we're getting a lot of people asking us, well, sh- where should Austin Simmons rank in this class? My draft hasn't and now started he yet, so to he's eligible. Ole Miss too. Yeah, yeah, it's to Ole Miss. Yeah, so that's where he'll be. And my answer is always, I don't think he's going to play at all this year. And I don't I don't know that I feel good about him playing next year either. So that's a guy that I'm just not touching Yeah, in drafts at all. I would rather let somebody else take him. I, I, somebody will reach for him in every draft you're in if, if this is a thing now. Because it's um, a news. It's news. Yeah. Um, I, but guys like that is, is how you get burned. And you have a bunch of these guys on your bench. So that, that was an aside, but I think that's how mm. I'm approached when that's how I approach supplemental drafts in the hopes that next year, when the supplemental draft rolls around, I don't have 25 roster spots to fill because I messed around a little too much last year, trying to stash a bunch of guys that were not that projectable to playing time and or future NFL value. So that's kind of how I'm treating the bottom of a roster when I'm going in. Uh, to the offseason. Do you have any players, Colin, that you've been cutting on a lot of teams this year just to give people an idea of kind of the quality of player that you're willing to let go of? Yeah, so I, I think you brought up a great point with the year one zero guys. You know, like we subscribe pretty heavily to the year one zero theory. You know, I don't, uh, I, I think it's a fantastic theory. It carries a lot of weight. There's a lot of like evidence behind it. I don't think it's the end all be all. So there's a little bit of wiggle room there for me personally, but Guys that we liked last year um, that were year one zeros and their situation has not gotten better. It's gotten worse. There's been no buzz about them in spring. Um, And a guy that that comes to the top of my mind like that is DJ Allen at at TCU. Um, I've heard nothing about him at TCU. They brought in a ton of transfer wide receivers. He's a guy that, uh, there he's like on the fringe there. So it depends on how many roster spots I have. There's a couple leagues where I still have him in and there's a couple leagues where I cut him in. 
So he's a name. It's right on the edge. But if you, you know, bump one step in the other direction, you're looking at guys like Keon Gray's Talon Shetron. I know Keon Gray's is not looking like he's going to see a whole lot of time here at Ohio State. They just recruited over him. They brought in three guys uh, who are top 10 wide receivers in the class in Innis, Brandon Innis, uh, Cornell Tate, and Noah Rogers. They also still have several guys there, like Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, Jaden Ballard. It doesn't seem like Grays is going to get on the field. But he's still an Ohio State wide receiver. I am still probably willing to hold on to him. And then best case scenario is he gets on the field. Middle case scenario is he transfers somewhere else and could be CFF relevant. And worst case scenario, you're cutting him by next year. But I haven't been in a situation where I've, cut him yet i i actually just recently went through and cut on a bunch of rosters so i don't know i'm trying to like flip through rosters real quick and be like oh okay do i have anybody here that i can cut um I, actually players that i've kind of been cutting um uh over the off season uh for instance I, i've cut a lot of lv bunkley shelton the guy that we yeah. liked um was a wide receiver at arizona state many moons ago and now he's at oklahoma uh and, and hasn't really uh, broken out there um a guy like um i i had trey sanders the running the former uh, alabama running back is going to hmm. tcu i had him in a couple leagues and, and i've gotten rid of him he's um, a guy that i would could probably consider hanging on to just because it looks like he might start at tcu and i think that could lead to some startable cff weeks i don't maybe. think there's any devy hope for him but he is one of those. He's one of those fringe guys as well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, let me look here. Who else? Uh, Evan. I've cut Evan Prater a bunch of places. Yeah. Um, I I don't think he's the next guy there. Uh, you know, new coaching staff. They like Brady Drogish. Um, uh, Nathaniel Pete. I, I've cut a bunch of places. He still has eligibility. He's still on the roster, right? At Mizzou. He sure. is. Yeah. He's yeah. still on the roster at Mizzou. Doesn't um, sound like they I, want him to be the guy this year. It's hard to say. I mean, they like didn't really use one specific bell cow. They've had Cody Schrader. They had him. Um, I'm still holding out a little bit of hope for Tavoris Jones. But, yeah, I don't really know what that backfield's going to look like this year. Either running back coach or OC recently hyped up Cody Schrader as their guy. So leads me okay. to believe they're not super interested in Pete. I've cut uh, Maven Anderson, wide receiver at Cal, who yep. was another one of these guys that we thought you know, maybe year two could could do something. So like th- these are the kinds of players that I think um, – you can cut Chris Hilton, who's at LSU. That one could potentially come back to bite me. Kind of speedster, field stretcher guy. He's been there a few years, but again, hasn't really ever uh, gotten a real handle on that job. So I think he's the kind of guy that I'm willing to cut. Um, I, I don't know. Do you have any other? Uh, I'm trying to think of like some other guys that I Rosemead, I Marcus Rosemead, Jackson, yeah, Georgia. That's a guy that places. I've cut. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, um, yeah. And I think this time next year, you know, assuming that we think some of these seasons go how we think they're going to go, I think you, we could get a lot of questions about like Andre Green Jr. at UNC. Yeah. Um, or um, I, yeah, people yeah. are drafting a lot of Malachi Singleton at Arkansas. And I think that's not his yeah. job next. I think it's um, Jacoby uh, Criswell. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Criswell's job. So I think I, he's a guy that I could see getting cut a lot next year. Um, so these are just kind of some of the decisions that you're making when you're drafting 
yeah. so that hopefully you don't have to make a tough, like you make the tough decision up front. You don't have to make the tough decision on the back end. And sometimes you could make a good decision. And it still doesn't really mm -hmm. work out for either way. I mean, no one's going to go 15 for 15 on their, yeah. their supplemental. I think even some of my best drafts I've ever had, I, I seven of the players ended up being good. And I was super happy about that. Like, yeah. you know, that that's not bad at all. It's under 50%. Yeah, but I mean, you have to look at it in context. I mean, these are players that were unrostered. You know, some of the freshmen obviously are in there too, but you know, these are players that are unrostered and they were unrostered for a reason last season. So the hit rate on these guys isn't going to be that high. The guys that you typically are going to hit on are guys that are stepping into the presumably stepping into a vacated role. A guy like, like we were talking about with um, Jeremy Curley you know, or Justin Lockhart, you know, those guys are presumably stepping into a volume wide receiver role. So those are the types of guys that are probably going to hit. If you're, you know, scooping up some other guys off, uh, you know, that like a Ra Ra Thomas that was probably available and he just transferred to Georgia. And now you're excited because he's a Georgia wide receiver. Those are the types of players that I think are a little less likely to hit where you're they're stepping into a room that's a little more crowded. There's not any real clear path to production, but it's a big school, so you're hoping that they hit. You know, I think those are the types of guys that will bust more often than not in your subdrafts. Yeah. So I mean, and so that just gives you an idea of how we kind of um, draft up front, and then you know the decisions that we make after. Yeah, I, I think you. Oh, go ahead. I think you brought up a good point too about you know in your supplemental draft when you're drafting these freshmen, you do kind of want to try to see the path forward to playing time. You know, you brought up a good point about that with like guys like Malachi Singleton, guys like Austin Simmons. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple other guys out there too. Like you, you want these guys to have a path to playing time, you know, Dylan Lonergan, Eli Holstein, those guys as well. Like you Vizina. want these. Yeah. yeah Christopher Vizina. And these are all quarterbacks just cause that's a little bit easier to see the path to playing time, but wide receiver is there as well. You know, Noah Rogers is going to have a hard time, uh, with a path to playing time because it's so crowded at Ohio State. Um, you know, guys like um, Ryan Niblett, DeAndre Moore going to Texas. I'm not a big Ryan Niblett guy, but even if you are, I have a hard time projecting those guys to like a big role. So those are guys that I do tend to steer away from in supplemental drafts because there's a decent chance that those guys end up getting cut next year. We're talking about quarterbacks that I think, you know, because that's the easy position. There's only generally one of them right. on the field, although I know Kansas and somebody else were playing around with two last year, but um, you know, uh, Avery Johnson at Kansas state's a guy that I, I yeah. have not pulled the trigger on a single time this year. Cause I think there's a chance mm -hmm. he sits two plus years and I'm not letting a guy sit on my bench for two years and, and doing nothing for me. A guy yeah. like that, I, that I liked um, Pierce Clarkson going to Louisville. Yeah. Now that they have Brady Allen there that I, I think they prefer Brady Allen. I, 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 at, at best, that's going to be a competition next year. And I still, you know, not that projectable kind of figuring out who's going to step into that job. Right. And well, next Brom year. didn't recruit Clarkson. Yeah. That was the previous regime. Brom huh. did recruit Brady him. Allen to yeah. Purdue and then again to Louisville. Yeah. So there, there, there's a lot of different situations like that where I, I just kind of sit down and I say, you know, what's, what's the depth chart? Is the offense good enough that I care anyway? You know, there, yeah. there's a lot of those kind that kind of calculus that goes into it. It makes it sound more difficult than it is. I mean, just use some common sense, you know, mm -hmm. in, and it's, I think, you know, <laughs> you probably know a good offense. If you follow college football, you generally know what schools are explosive offensively and which ones yeah. wish it and, was 1925 again. And if you don't, you know, because I, I think sometimes, you know, we, 
take for granted, you know, how in the weeds we are with some of this stuff. Some people aren't necessarily as in the weeds as we are. So if you don't necessarily have a good idea of outside of like the top 10 offenses, you know, everybody knows those guys. So if you don't know the other good offenses that play at a high pace, all that kind of stuff, use the tools over at the site. You know, I use those all the time when I'm going through supplemental drafts and I'm trying to find players that I think are going to be productive for CFF. Um, you know, I'm looking for looking through those tools, looking at rate of play, looking at previous years, wide receiver point, um, number one wide receiver points per game. I'm looking at pass rate, uh, all that kind of stuff. An example of guys that I just came across recently that I'm intrigued, like more intrigued by than I was previously. Like they're not in my rankings at all are the guys at Jacksonville state um, Zion Webb, who's coming back for a seventh year and the, the running back room, Malik Jackson or Anwar Lewis, because it's a rich rod offense. So if you use the coaching tool, you see that rich Rodriguez has a, a pretty successful history of, of rushing attacks, mobile quarterbacks, that kind of stuff. So I'm finding things out all the time too. So I, you know, I know it's our site, but I, I really can't recommend using those tools enough. I use them all the time. Yeah. Um, can help you identify some sleeper offenses too. When I, you know, yeah. like, you know we talked about NC state um, yeah. and I'm still moderately intrigued by that offense. I just can't figure out which wide receiver Who's the it receiver? is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> There's a couple different options. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Um, the other question that we get a lot, and, and uh, this is from Gavin on Twitter uh, in our uh, C2C uh, community, which is open to anybody, by the way. So if you just look, search campus uh, to Canton, like the, the, the word to we, we want to yeah. take more generic the name of the format um, yeah yeah um he says say you need a couple of spots opened up for your supplemental draft who do you lean toward cutting older guys who are startable but not elite producers and have no nfl upside last year's freshman you liked who may have disappointed in production with no guaranteed role going forward or other so basically he's asking you know are you cutting guys that are like maybe a bye week fill in if you really desperately need a guy, but probably not a CFF stud, a freshman who was a bum last year and we don't have a lot of hope for them or some other kind of category is essentially his question. Uh, I think this is an interesting question. I know what my answer is. I wish we had like a dating game, like where we could both write, where we write, write it, it down, down and, flip it. and hold it up um, <laughs> as to what like the other one would say. I, I'm assuming you're going to agree with me that it's the guys that are probably not elite college producers. Is this correct? Um, I, so there's a, a caveat here where we were talking about last year's freshman and we're looking at the, the year one zero guys. Um, Again, if if it's an offense like in Ohio State, um, like Talon Shetron at Oklahoma State, where those offenses are productive, even if maybe we don't have enough hope for them for Debbie, I would probably still hang on to those guys. Um, but some other rooms, you know, if they, if we if we thought we, maybe we liked them, and and you know, like an Andre Green Jr. is a guy that I would honestly, I would probably look to move him before I just straight up cut him. But I'm losing hope for him, so he's a guy that I would consider cutting before a guy who might give me like a bi-week fill-in, you know, because I do value those bi-week fill-in type guys. But if they weren't a year one zero and they still don't have your guaranteed production moving forward, I would probably then cut the older guys first. So here I, I hear what you're saying and I get your answer. And I think it's not a wrong answer oh thank you you're welcome that's about the nicest thing that i yeah. will say on the show usually so that was, that yeah. was pretty good yeah yeah no, i know um but here's why i don't 
I, I personally lean like well, don't lean like I, I older guys who are startable but not elite producers and have no NFL upside. That's the category that I'm cutting every single time, and here's why: because I, I if I'm in a situation where I have like so many injuries or my the guys that I thought would be really good for CFF just kind of bomb, and so I'm relying on guys that are kind of like flex options at best. That's a roster that I just want to blow up the whole CFF side of it anyway. I'm not trading away the Debbie assets, but I'm saying for the year, okay, this was not my year. This didn't really happen how I thought it would. I'm trading away the two wide receivers that I have that are actually worth something and the running back that I have that's worth something and the senior quarterback that, that's worth something from a CFF perspective and just tanking for as low of a draft pick or as good of a draft pick, what I don't know, whatever terminology you mm-hmm. want to use as I can possibly get. I'm a little more uh, because, and I think part of it's because I'm a little more experienced in this format. I'm a little more willing to kind of thread the needle a little bit. I don't necessarily always load up my bench how some other people uh, will with 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 mega CFF producers. Um, so I, I don't like those those guys are actually hurting me because I don't want to start them. I want to start like a guy that's going to get me like two point seven points. I don't want to start a guy that's going to get me twelve points on like a normal week where it's not just like. Oh, it's by a week hell this week. Okay, I get this. Like, I I don't want those kind of players on my roster at all. So guys like Theo Weiss could be mm. an example. Former Oklahoma. I don't remember if he was a five star or a borderline guy, but he was at Oklahoma for a couple years. He's transferred over to Missouri now. He's a guy that I just straight up and I he did make a couple rosters because he didn't quite make the cut. Um, but he's a guy that I'm happily cutting. Because he's not he he's actually actively hurting me, even if he's playing at like a mediocre level. I would rather just hold on to the freshman if I have to make that choice and hope that year one, you know, whatever situation ends up changing throughout the year. So that's my take on it. Because then I just have more picks for the following year. I can get a bit more aggressive with more certain CFF guys a little bit earlier than other people want to pivot because I have some earlier picks to hit some more Debbie guys. So it just kind of snowballs. And if it doesn't work, you know, then you just push into the next year and you just kind of do it over and over and over again until you hit. Shouldn't take that many years for you to hit. So that's why I lean the way that I do. And I think I'm not like, I think there's no right way, but I think that way makes the most sense to me just based on, again, kind of min maxing a roster. Yeah, I I definitely get that logic. And I think, if you have a little more experience and you are comfortable just saying, you know, in week four, screw it. This isn't my year. I'm just going to re- scrap it, rebuild, and then, you know, go again for next year. Then, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I totally get what you're thinking is is there. Um, if you're not quite at that point or, you know, I do like to have a pretty deep bench for CFF, like even if it's, you know, a guy that is probably not going to get me uh, a, a ton of production. You know, it's like an RB4 type of a guy. Um, so they're like flex worthy and I have to start them as my RB1. If the rest of my positions, you know, if I have like some elite quarterbacks, you know, if I, if I have like a, a Michael Penix and a Caleb Williams and I have some good wide receivers like a Torrey Horton and uh, Malachi Corley and, you know, the running back position is my only one that's weak. I'll still make push it, you know, I'll still try to compete on that CFF side. I won't tear it down just because I have, you know, one position that's a little weaker. So I don't mind having those guys that are, you know, like I said, flex worthy players as every week starters. 
depending on what my roster looks like. So I think it's pretty roster dependent. But like I said, I get where you're coming from on that one. And that does lean into the strict, um, you know, min maxing your roster. And you does allow you to roll your roster into the next year, you know, like kind of snowball it like we talked about. The problem and this like I that I think with your strategy that you put forward, not like and again, I don't think it's a wrong strategy. I, I do think it's viable. But I think more than even two or three years ago, uh, people like when we first started campuscan.com, it was really, really easy to win at college side if you really, really wanted to in a normal league because people were not really prioritizing trying to win that. I think there's been a big shift and we've I don't want to say it's not just because of us, but we have consistently preached. You should be trying like that is that is free. Two years ago, that was free money, essentially, that you could win as long as the split was somewhat close uh, between the NFL and college side, because not that many people were really prioritizing the CFF side. Now you see at least every league has probably at, at least two or three managers, if not a lot more than that who are actively trying to win. So it makes the ability to start a couple of those flex kind of guys week in, week out, and still actually win and not just like make the playoffs as a borderline guy, really, really difficult. So I don't know that that necessarily works a ton anymore. Obviously, again, dependent on your league. But I see more and more and more leagues shifting toward people caring a lot more about that. And uh, you see a lot of these kind of stash guys that would have been on rosters a few years ago hanging around on waivers now because no, nobody wants them yeah i do think the community as a whole has gotten sharper in terms of min maxing and cutting guys like like you said like theo Weiss. you know like yeah, he, a couple years ago he's a five borderline he's a former five star, five star. Well, i'm yeah. not gonna cut a former five star you high exactly yeah you know we've seen that mindset mindset shift where we're not quite as concerned about past pedigree before if there is no real like production and we're not projecting much at the NFL level either. Yeah. So it's an interesting concept and we have talked about that quite a bit on different shows this off season. We did a a round table um, a few weeks ago with, with Nelly and and dynasty coach a Um, I, I did call him was away for that. And um I actually am trying to plan a special guest for an episode of the collective with, oh. uh, in my opinion, the smartest strategy person I've ever known sharpest when it comes to the college side of league. Interesting. I think I know who uh, this is, but you probably do, but I don't want to say the name on here cause he doesn't do mm-hmm. a lot of shows, uh, right, quite right. frankly. Um, but qu- quite frankly, like in my opinion, the goat in this space ever, um so we're, we're trying to get him to come on the collective which is our nil only member uh nil member only uh show over at c2c yeah which by the way i mean you know not to get too far off the rails here i was i was pretty surprised that you were the one who revealed our our news that's going to be breaking relatively soon uh, matt really wanted show. matt really wanted me to and felix was in the background like felix just listened in as we were recording it in the stream uh, yard and he was in the chat saying like say it say it say it uh, so okay they both they both egged me on yeah i was i'm on yeah. i'm on board with it too but you know usually you're the you're, you're fort knox over there you're, yeah. you're tightening everybody up you're making them sign the ndas what well, that's why i went to law school to squeeze every last ounce of dignity i can out of people um when it comes to these things yeah okay yeah so 
um yeah we're really really uh good shows to be totally sidetracked over there um yeah but if you but are yeah. an nil member um check out the the nil channel in there we drop the pod link in there it's definitely yeah. one you're gonna want to listen to yeah um all right so i think uh, do you have any other just kind of tidbits on on supplemental draft stuff this year calling again i am writing an article right now i, th- I think it's going to be three pieces um on this monster queue that i put together and essentially um why players are where ranked where they are even if you went to my rankings that's not how they they look and and, and, you know things like that and kind of kind of digging through those things but it's probably too broad of a discussion 55 minutes into a podcast to 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 start touching on here yeah i mean i mean like you said it's it's probably a little bit too much to dive into this late in the show but i do think there's a difference between drafting rankings for startups and drafting rankings for supplementals because with a supplemental you already have your roster so yeah the early ones you're still taking bpa but a little bit later you're kind of rounding out your roster whereas you know in a startup you're i'm drafting like bpa pretty much the entire way through at least until i get towards the very end like the last like 10 or so picks and then i'm like oh i only have one tight end on my roster i guess i should probably take three tight ends in this last pick and then just find somebody who can play or or however it ends up shaking out um, so I, I just want, I do think it's important to note that drafting for a supplemental is different than drafting for, uh, just a pure startup. And it's a it, totally it different mindset. It's a totally yeah. different mindset. I, I draft so much differently that there are names that I would take in a startup that I would never touch in a supplemental. I would yeah. probably draft Chris Vizina late in the startup. I would never take him in a supplemental. <laughs> like yeah. there, there's things like that. And there's just, it's a totally different approach to, to roster construction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and I think another important thing with supplemental and, and shaping out the bottom of your roster is league settings too. Like I know like the standard out there is like 15 rounds, um, you know, cause that's a third of your roster, but I do know there's a couple other leagues that there's a couple leagues out there and there's one that I'm in where it was, you know, it was a contested conversation, but they, you know, there's some leagues that do, you can just draft as many players as you want in the supplemental. So, or, you know, in an auction format, you can kind of draft as many players as you want. It's not, it's a looser format. So I think your, your league settings do also determine how you shape the bottom of your roster, where if it's 15 rounds, you want to make sure you have 15 spots or, you know, if you don't maybe like 14, um, 13, but you want to pretty much use all of your picks. If it's a different format, you can have some different flexibility. Yeah, and I think to the point where I, I, I want to use all of them, and if I think I want more picks and I want to cut more players, and you look around at some of your co-managers' rosters an hour before the draft, and you've got a bunch of guys sitting there with too many players and they can't use their picks, I'd cut more and then try to acquire those picks later in the draft for basically you know, nothing because mm-hmm. somebody else can't use them. They'll yeah. all get skipped. So just kind of being cognizant of your league and what's going on, I think would be the last yeah. little t- general tip I could give to anybody um, because you, it, it, it legitimately could, could turn your roster over, you know, four or five extra slots, which can be mm-hmm. pretty big uh, in terms of fi- unearthing a, a, a more usable player. Yeah. And I think when you are trying to acquire those other picks, um, you know, typically the best, at least the way I found the best way to do that is to trade back at a certain spot so like you know you're looking in round eight and you see there's one team in your league who there's like three picks that they can't use i'll trade my round eight pick for you know round 
10, 11, and 12. Because uh, I don't see there's a, that I don't think there's that much of a difference between eight and ten, and I'll pick up two extra picks that I can use. So when I'm trying to acquire extra picks, that's typically how I try to structure it, where I'm trading back a little bit and picking up multiple extra picks that I know from a person who's not going to be able to use them. All right, Colin, let's hop into these freshman profiles and get these fine folks out of here today. Uh, who are you talking about? A player that I'm all of a sudden slightly more interested in because of the comings and goings in the mm -hmm. Auburn backfield right now. Yeah, same. Um, it's uh, it, it's Jeremiah Cobb running back going to Auburn. Uh, it's four-star prospect, number nine by the composite. Um, and he had some decent offers, you know, Auburn, Clemson, Georgia, Michigan. Um, so he had a number of other, a, a number of other offers and ended up choosing Auburn. He's got good. He's got really good speed. He's recorded at 21.5 miles per hour. Um, quick first step. He gets the top speed quickly. Uh, I think he's a fluid athlete. Doesn't really lose uh, speed when he changes direction. I think he also has pretty solid lateral agility. He can string some moves together. Uh, the biggest thing that the biggest knock that I have on Cobb is he's got a slender frame. Um, he was listed at 185 on 24 seven. I think I saw he's up to 190 on Auburn's website, but don't quote me on that. Uh, but either way, he's, he's small. Um, so he does need to bulk up a little bit. Contact balance for his size is not bad. He doesn't really go down on first contact, you know, he'll, he'll fall forward, but, uh, when, anytime you have to qualify it with a, for his size, whether it's contact balance or speed and agility it's you know uh it's not necessarily a positive um uh, so he's a little small but he's a decisive runner he gets up field quickly um he needs to be a little bit more patient but he does have pretty good vision and something else that i really liked about cobb is he has over 50 career receptions in high school so he was split out wide at times. He adjusts to passes away from his frame. He transitions from a runner to a receiver well. I think he is a uh, a good player in the passing game and has the potential to develop into a weapon in the passing game, which could you know, provide him with a role at the NFL level, given that he's a little bit smaller. So he needs to improve that pass-catching ability, I think, to, um, to have – a role at the NFL level, but in terms of college production, like you touched on, there's, um, you know, question marks in the Auburn backfield where we don't know what's going to happen with Jarquez Hunter because of the offseason news. You know, you'll have to look into that if you um, are, aren't aware of, of what happened, but there's questions about his status for this coming year. Uh, and then the other guys that they have, Damari Alston, who was a running back that they brought in in last year's class. Uh, and then Brian Bate, uh, Bate, uh, however you say it, is a tiny, tiny back from South Florida uh, who they brought in. Uh, so it's without Jarquez Hunter there, it's a fairly thin backfield. Uh, I think Cobb could get a role this year. He's really going to be fighting with Bate for that like pass catching change of pace type of role. Um, but I, he's a guy that I do like, uh, and, you know, I, I think you could provide some solid college production and I can see an NFL role for him. Yeah. I, I, um, 
I found him to be an incredibly difficult player to evaluate. We've talked a lot about this class being a lot of undersized running backs, and I think he definitely fits into that role. I don't see him getting too far over 205 yeah. uh, eventually. And he does really like to bounce stuff like a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot to the point where I was like, dude, just run through the middle one time, please. That's all. I just want to see you run up the middle once. I'm not sure. I'm I'm very curious to see how he does in a more difficult setting where everybody's a little more athletic. I think he's going to struggle to acclimate a little bit, but um, it's not like Auburn's been wheeling in the high end recruits here over the past couple of years. So to say that he gets recruited over feels like a bit of a stretch at the moment too. Um, right. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I, re- I really don't know. He is still listed at 185 on Auburn's website. Um, I thought I had seen he got a little bit bigger, but he is not. So yeah, I, I do think he's going to struggle to get over to get probably to he'll probably struggle to get to 205. I, I, I tried to say 205 to be generous. I really struggle to see him over 200 at any time in his future yeah. career. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. But I yeah, I think his his future is as a is a pass catcher um, yeah. as, as like a change of pace guy. And like you said, but he's he very can, athletic. Yeah, you can, he can do it. Definitely do it. What do you say? 50, 50 plus catches, I believe. Yeah. What, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that that's pretty solid there. Um, so I chose Jaden Greathouse for tonight, the Notre Dame wide receiver. And I think we've talked about him a few times on the show. He was probably one of the more difficult evals in this entire class, not because what he does on the field is necessarily, you know, odd or, or anything like that. He was actually highly productive and high level, uh, Texas high school football, um, his big problem is essentially, is he athletic enough to do the things that he's been doing over the next three to four years, which I, I think the answer is yes. But then when you turn that athlete knob to 11, when you hit the NFL, is he athletic enough to get away with what he's doing now? And I think my answer is tentatively no at the moment. I, I, I don't see it there. But just to talk a little bit about the kind of player he is, he's 6'2". He's, I, I actually don't even know what they have him listed at right now. His weight, like the whole way up to 220 something uh through his recruiting um so he he's kind of weirdly shaped and you can kind of see where i'm going here with this already uh early on they, they have him listed at 61213 so it sounds like maybe he's trimmed down uh, a little bit there uh, already on campus in early royal enrollee um he he's pretty physical and he's but he's not just physical like he he just kind of knows how to play football <laughs> It's just very, he is extremely difficult to describe here. He, yeah. he, he, I believe had four or five kick returns for touchdowns last year, but again, not super athletic, like just pretty good with the football in his hands. Um, he is like moderately explosive and he's moderately flexible. Like he, he can, you can kind of sink those hips out of breaks. Um, the, the first step is not particularly good, which is going to be troublesome. If you go watch his, his huddle tape, from his senior year, there's a play two or three minutes in where he's lined up, I believe in the slot up on the line of scrimmage. There's a corner right playing press man. The corner goes to press him and he, he beats him at the line. Like he's pretty savvy at the line of scrimmage. He, he totally makes him whiff on the press and the jam. And he's so slow that it's an inside release on like a little slant and the corner completely recovers and tackles him immediately as soon as the ball gets there. And like that encompasses Jaden Greathouse in a nutshell, that one play. So, so much 
because that's just he he he's not proven to be athletic enough to like if you if if um try, like even if like Eugene Wilson who's going to Florida was in that scenario in the slot and he beats the guy he's gone that's a touchdown yeah and for Jaden Greathouse it's an eight yard gain and maybe it moves moves the chains and that's fine but it, it, is that upside enough uh, to to bank on him as a future NFL guy I don't really know. Uh, he does have extremely good catching technique and kind of all the technical things. He, he is very, very refined, especially for his age. The feet are pretty quick, like in terms of release package. He just doesn't explode that much out of, you know, whatever when he when he's trying to get that that, that first and second step. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, and he's not a huge yak guy, which is weird, even though he was pretty good on kick and punt returns. Like, this, this dude's an enigma, and it made him very, very difficult for me to evaluate. I had him as, like, a borderline tier one, tier two guy early in the process. I ended up dropping him down to the bottom of my tier two, which is basically comprised of uh, either uber athletes who don't really know how to play wide receiver yet or players who I think have a pretty good shot at being really, really productive in college, but maybe don't quite have the chops to make it to the NFL. And, he, and I think he falls squarely in, in that, that latter category as a guy that I just don't know if he's quite athletic enough to do the things that we need him to do to get the NFL. But he had over 100 yards receiving and a touchdown in their spring game, by all accounts, was probably the best receiver on the field. So I do think there's a pretty good chance that he finishes with, I don't know, 600 to 800 yards receiving this year, a minimum if we think if that offense is prolific as we think it will be. Um, I just I don't think he's a great long-term bet. And I never want to count a guy out and say, you cannot do it. He is very much shades of Inkeel Harry. All over uh, okay. quite frankly. I was thinking, I, I was kind of thinking some David Bell. Okay, David, David Bell is another guy. Yeah, they're, they're similar players where they, you know, they kind of hid in the slot a little bit, kind of mask the fact that they weren't amazing athletes, but they did a lot of things pretty well. And I could see him having a couple of 1,200-yard seasons there for Notre Dame, and maybe he's a four-year guy. Um, I just don't see a huge, huge NFL future for him. And I again, I hope I'm wrong. I, I'm not rooting against the kid. Um, I just don't, I, I don't know that the athleticism ever gets to that point where I feel really, really good about him. Yeah, I, I kind of tend to agree with you. Like I said, I, I see a, a lot of David Bell in him and, and I, you know, I don't typically do a lot of comps or whatever, but I think he's just very sound technically. I think he could be really good at Notre Dame, especially if, you know, they can get some good quarterback play beyond Sam Hartman this year, who I, I think we think Sam Hartman's going to be pretty solid this year, but then who's going to be the next guy up. I tend to lean Kenny Minchie, but we'll see how that ends up shaking out. But if they can get good quarterback play, I think he could be productive for CFF for you. And doing that at Notre Dame, it's probably going to lead to an opportunity in the NFL. But is he actually going to be able to capitalize on that with his athleticism? I don't know. I'm just maybe holding out hope that maybe he loses like 15 pounds or I so and gets to like 200. Helps. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Because like he's like, if he's like 6'2", 200 pounds, like that's a good sized receiver. And maybe losing that like 15 or so pounds can can help him with a first step and help him be a little more explosive. Um, Couldn't hurt. That's him. kind. Of, yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. But I, you know, I, I'm, I tend to lean with you where I'm skeptical of the NFL future. To give you an idea of how productive he was in high school, uh, he went to Westlake High School, which they haven't really produced NFL wide receivers, but that's where Drew Brees went to high school. Uh, Justin Tucker, uh, Kylan Granson, Nick Foles, Sam Ellinger. Like they, this school has produced 
a, a bunch of NFL players over the past, you know, 15, 20 years. He's the all-time leading receiver there with 232 receptions, 4,035 yards, and 53 touchdowns. And his 4,035 receiving yards ranks as the 15th most in Texas high school football history. So this, this kid was extremely, extremely productive. So I don't want to write him off completely because those productive Texas high-end guys tend to be uh, okay in college. Uh, I just don't feel yeah I'm, uh, amazing about the projection. So we'll, we'll see how he does. I still think he's very draftable in supplemental drafts just because, again, yeah. I think he could be a, a very high-end CFF guy. Uh, for at least a couple of years of his uh, college career. And like Colin said, you know, is it, is it Kenny Minchie? Is it somebody else? I don't think it's CJ Carr, um, but we'll, we'll see about that. Um, but I, I don't, I, I, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't think CJ Carr starts as a freshman. I mean, that's a whole topic for a whole other day. But I don't he, think CJ Carr is that good. I think he's like a th- high three-star talent. Even if he is personally. though, like, right. I don't think he starts as a true freshman, no, you know, no, which will I give Kenny Minchie the opportunity provided they don't bring in another transfer. I like Kenny Minchie. I do too. You want to talk about, you want to talk about, um, um, quarterbacks that kind of got where they are because of their name. And you want to put, I want to put Manning in there. CJ Carr, whose dad is, or his grandpa is Lloyd Carr, was a longtime head coach at Michigan. Um, he's he's the guy you point to and you say that dude has no business being ranked as high as he is. It's because of the name that he has. Um, he, I, I have never watched him and thought that he was a, a high end player at all. I, I don't think he belongs in that discussion. I was shocked that he was like a borderline four star, five star guy in next year's class. Just there's that guy every year we talk about it. He's yep. next year's guy. Just shocked that he's ranked that high. Christopher Vizina, Walker Howard, <laughs> um, Vandergriff. Yeah, Vandergriff. Every year, there's a guy. He's just like I. I don't know why this guy's ranked here. He has no business being here. Um, <laughs> and I, I definitely think the car uh, is the kid in next year's class. But that's a different discussion for a totally different day. Thanks for listening in here, guys. Be sure to check out again everything over at campus2canton.com, the YouTube page, and of course the podcast feed that you're already on if you're listening here to us, chasing the natty. Back to Debbie, Debbie Debate, Canton Bound, Future Freshman, and of course the official that comes out every weekend, our weekly shows there. Uh, season's right around the corner. We are planning our in-season content, so uh, we'll, we'll be announcing that over the next uh, few weeks, the, the, the different things that we do uh, as the season rolls around. Make sure you're checking out our show over on the Better Sports Network that goes live on Fridays at, I believe, eight p.m., 7 or 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, and then, of course, use that promo code over at Homefield Apparel Campus to Canton.com for 15% off any order over there. We will be back on Thursday for, uh, for fr- on Friday with Canton Bound. Until then, I am Austin. And this is Colin. Have a good one.